Every so often we are treated to a rom-com that is not only extremely funny, but also skewers the zeitgeist. Take for instance Ernst Lubitsch's Ninochka from 1939, where Greta Garbo played a committed communist who fell for Melvin Douglas's unapologetic capitalist. Must you flirt? Well, I don't have to, but I find it natural. Suppress it. In 1949, George Cukor gave us Adam's Rib, in which high-flying lawyer Catherine Hepburn was married to high-flying lawyer Spencer Tracy, and their marriage took a backseat as they took opposing sides on the same case. Typical, instinctive, masculine brutality. Oh, come And now, it felt come. not only as though you meant it, but as though you felt you had a right to. I can tell. What have you got back there? Radar equipment? Prioritizing work over relationships was also the subject of Billy Wilder's The Apartment, where Jack Lemmon, found his fondness for Shirley MacLaine, was thwarted. Not by MacLaine's commitment to her job, but by the sexist underbelly of corporate culture. You know, you see a girl a couple of times a week just for laughs, and right away they think you're going to divorce your wife. <laughs> no, I ask you. Is that fair? No, sir, it's very unfair. Especially to your wife. It would be enough to kill off any hope of any romance, which was part of the point that Woody Allen was driving at when, in 1977, he made Annie Hall. Instead of showing how Alvy fell in love with Annie, the film picked over the remains of the failed relationship. A relationship, I think, is, is like a shark. You know, it has to constantly move forward or it dies. And I think what we got on our hands <clears throat> is a dead shark. Part of the reason why Annie left Alvy was because for all his years in therapy, he simply could not appreciate her for who she was which is part of the discovery Dustin Hoffman made in Sidney Pollock's Tootsie. But I was a better man with you as a woman than I ever was with a woman as a man. You know what I mean? Hoffman won the love of Jessica Lange by learning what it is like to be objectified, humiliated and rejected solely on the way you look. And according to Harry Burns... No man can be friends with a woman that he finds attractive. He always wants to have sex with her. So you're saying that a man can be friends with a woman he finds unattractive? No, you pretty much want to nail him too. Of course, the most famous scene in Rob Reiner's When Harry Met Sally is... Oh! 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 Oh, God! And that scene gave voice to women in a way cinema had never done before. And in turn, it led to Richard Curtis's Four Weddings and a Funeral where Andy McDowell listed her 33 previous lovers. So there you go. Less than Madonna, more than Princess Di, I hope. <laughs> the celebratory coup of that scene was that the audience was not invited to condemn McDowell at all. Instead, we accepted her for what she was. Trainwreck, written by and starring Amy Schumer and directed by Judd Apatow, is just as groundbreaking. You go down on me too much. What? Yeah, it's selfish. No, it is actually selfish because, you know, you act, don't look like I'm crazy. You act like it's for me, but really it's just to show how great you are. Like you're always helping people. So I shouldn't go down on you as much? Don't try and spin this as a way to not go down on me as much. That's ridiculous. Of course I want you to go down on me that much. Being contemporary and relevant are but two of the many things that make a comedian funny. Whether you're George Carlin, Richard Pryor or Joan Rivers, every great comedian taps into and cuts through the zeitgeist. Amy Schumer is a comedian who doesn't so much have her finger on the pulse of what it means to be a woman in 21st century America, as much as she has pushed her hand shoulder deep into its beating heart. Whether her topic is one night stands, birth control, parenting, binge drinking, body image, esteem issues, commitment issues, 
cookie cutter girls or how men expect women to behave, Schumer is able to cut through the anxiety, absurdity, inconsistency, hypocrisy and downright idiocy of it all and give us a fresh and thus clearer perspective. The film begins with a prologue, a life-altering scene from Amy's childhood. I don't know what your mother told you, but let me explain it from my side in terms you can understand. You got your doll, right? You got your doll there. Yeah. You love your doll? Yeah. Yes. But what if I told you that was the only doll you were allowed to play with the rest of your life? How would you feel? Sad. You'd feel sad. Of course. There's other dolls you like, and they're making new dolls every year. You want a stewardess doll? Yeah. yeah. What about a slightly overweight cocktail waitress doll? Mm-hmm. Yeah. What about a doll who happens to be best friends with your main doll? Yeah. yeah. It could happen, right? Yeah. yeah. What about a doll you only play with one day and never see again? Yeah. So that's why me and Mom are getting divorced. Okay. From there, we catapult forward some 23 years with Amy working in New York at Snuff, a men's monthly. A quick montage establishes why Amy is suited to writing for the trashy magazine. Her sex life appears to be governed by one rule, and that is that her night partner is never, ever allowed to sleep over. She drinks an awful lot as well, frequently tottering home on her stilettos. But she doesn't seem to be really enjoying herself that much. The sex is frequently fumbling and non-connective, and you quickly get the sense that she drinks to obliterate the numbness. In other words, she's doing things not because she is living out her father's embittered declaration. Monogamy isn't realistic. Monogamy isn't realistic. Again. Monogamy isn't realistic. Little did little Amy know that deep down, her father hated her mother. And now, grown-up Amy has developed a similar attitude to all women, including herself. If ever there is proof that a woman can be a misogynist, Trainwreck Amy is it. No, he's too nice. He's not too nice. Yes, he is. He's too nice for me. You know it. No, no, he's the perfect amount of nice that you deserve. Yeah, but you know what? There's deal breakers across the board with him. Like, the sex is good. It's, like, really good. Like, it's, it's great, but it's not, like, the best I've ever had, you know? You're right. You don't want best sex that you've ever had, guy. No, you want to stay with the best you've ever had, guy. No, you don't. That's a creepy guy. You don't want to be with that guy. Best sex that you've ever had, guy, is in jail. You know what I mean? Yeah, but I've been thinking about maybe reaching out to him. Before we get too far ahead of ourselves, we should guard against a backlash, because a lot of people in a lot of places will say that Schumer sells out at the end of the story and compromises her character and her entire thesis because she ends up with Aaron, a successful sports doctor. In other words, she betrays the feminist agenda. That is utterly bogus. A malignant argument not so much spread as pap smeared by misogynists, male and female, determined to undermine what feminism is. When did feminism ever mean solipsism? When was feminism ever about creating a world without men? Feminism is not about women turning their backs on men. It's not about getting revenge against men. And it's not even about being better than men. It's about equality. Equal rights means equal opportunities and equal rewards. I think we really like each other and we should start dating. No, I'm I'm saying 
I'm confused. I, am I not communicating this right? Like, I, I... No, I hear you. I'm just saying I disagree. Do you like me? Yeah. Yeah, see, I really like you. So we should be a couple. <laughs> no, no. I, I have pl plans. What are your plans? Dentist. Is that true? No. Once upon a time, women were denied a voice. So beginning in the 1840s and carrying right through to the 1920s, the first wave of feminism aimed at securing the right to vote and the right to own property. The second wave followed in the 1960s, where the issues addressed reproductive rights, rights within the workplace, and media representation. By the time the third wave arrived in the 1980s, the focus of debate was on sexuality and pornography. And then the 1990s saw the arrival of this show. It appeared at the time that Carrie Bradshaw and her friends were championing female empowerment. But in hindsight, they were just rushing headlong into the embrace of consumerism and the delusional notion that you could have it all. That belief was based on the idea that female empowerment was achieved through financial independence. And that in turn led a woman to shop. Because shopping meant she decided how she looked. Fair enough. But... Check the red soul of every Christian Louboutin and you will see that all Carrie Bradshaw was doing was objectifying herself. Having it all means you don't need anything else. Because if you don't need anything else, you certainly don't need to reach into your Birkin saltwater crocodile handbag to take out your customised Louis Vuitton soft case for your diamond-encrusted iPhone 6 so you can take a sunset selfie. Because... Because of course... Consumerism needs you to be eternally incomplete. And feeling incomplete leads you back to low self-esteem. By which point you have long since turned yourself into the object of your own dissatisfied gaze. Trainwreck begins with Amy being just that. In her own words, she has a sick apartment, lots of sex with lots of guys, lots of drinks and the occasional blackout. And because she is a woman writing in a men's magazine, the male readers think that their boorish behaviour is okay because a woman is literally authoring it for them. From there, Amy begins to pick at the seams of her own life and soon manages to weave herself a new pattern. I slept at the doctor's place last night. Oh my god, because you were like blackout drunk? No, that's the thing. I, I was dead sober. I had like two drinks. Three, max. Four now that I'm tallying, but it was like okay, I was so sober. So you barely drink, barely, because you're on antibiotics or something. You're. Oh my god, he's calling. Why would he call? You guys just had sex. It's probably a mistake. It's, yeah. it's a mistake. He's he's butt dialing you. Hello. Oh, hey there. It's it's Aaron. Oh, uh, this is Amy. I think you butt dialed me. No, no, I I, I dialed you with my fingers. What'd she say? What'd she say? Shh. Call me on purpose. Hang up. He's obviously like sick or something. So he's um, yeah, what's up? I was calling to say I had a really good time last night. I was wondering if you wanted to um, hang out again. Will you say that again, please? I was wondering if I could see you again. You know what? I'm going to call the police. Trainwreck pulls an interesting trick. The most important man in the film is not Aaron, played by Bill Hader. It's not basketball star LeBron James, who, it must be said, delivers a brilliant turn in a character that is a brilliant inversion of the cliché depiction of a male athlete. It's not even Amy's dad, Gordon, played by Colin Quinn. It is Noam. Who? Noam, played by David Attell, 
the homeless man outside of Amy's apartment. Noam is the most important man in the movie because he is literally the man in the street. And serving like a Greek chorus, he can again literally see through Amy's facade and make a joke of it. While Trainwreck connects to a contemporary audience, as the years roll by, the contemporary jokes will likely fade, only for the deeper issues to rise to the surface. And what are those issues? The perennial issues that everyone faces in their own lives. A sense of self, a need to connect, an acceptance of love, and our seemingly endless ability to undermine ourselves. I think, yeah, the fear of getting hurt. Most relationships don't end well. And I'm 34 and I've been dating for a long time. And even if it's someone who really likes you and you like them, then at this age, then there's some discovery usually that's a deal breaker. So sometimes you, you want to find out the thing that's going to hurt you so much that you, you can almost create it. You can like will it to happen. And then also believing that you deserve love and that you're not just like disgusting and unlovable. All of which suggests that Amy Schumer isn't only laughing about women. She's laughing about men. She's laughing about now. And I'm certain she'll have us laughing for a long time to come.